Good evening, everybody. Let's all stand. Turn to 451. 451, we're going to sing verses 1, 3, and 5. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil He doth richly repay. Not a grief nor a loss, not a crown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. When he says we will do, where he sends we will go, never fear, only trust and obey. And obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Amen. A lot of truth in that song, isn't there? We need to learn to trust and obey, and then the Lord's happiness will be with us. Amen. Well, it's good to be in God's house tonight. Good to see each one of you here. Glad to have some back with us after the the big freeze, I think we had a little bit of thawing today, amen? So uh, even the flies are out buzzing around already. Uh, but uh, good to have everyone here tonight, and thankful that the Lord is allowing us to have church this evening. But ask Brother Quinlan if you would open us in prayer tonight, please. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Um, I do have a few announcements uh, to give to you uh, tonight as we begin. First of all, um, Pastor uh, texted me just here a little bit ago and uh, said that uh, the meetings are going well. Uh, if you're wondering where he is at tonight, if you're a little bit out of the loop, uh, they're down in Oklahoma City 
for the Church Planners Conference that is taking place at Heartland Baptist Bible College. And uh, so he and Miss Natalie and the kids are down there and uh, enjoying uh, the messages there. I know I talked to my son Cody last night, and he said, Dad, Brother Sam uh, Davison preached tonight. It was awesome. And he said, and it was under an hour. Can you believe that? Now, if you know Brother Sam Davison, that doesn't ever happen hardly. And uh, I guess when he, he got up to, to preach, he said, I'm going to amaze all of you tonight. I'm going to keep it under an hour, and he did, and uh, so they got a good kick out of that. But everything's going well, and a pastor, of course, he'll give a report when he comes back, but he said that uh, they're able so far to, I think, give out about $4,500 to church planners already, and, and on top of that, uh, the Heart, Heartland Baptist Bible College is now debt-free. Uh, they paid off the chapel uh, yesterday and announced it right before Brother Sam came to preach, and that's significant because they've named it the Sam Davison Biblical Preaching Center is what it is called, and so uh, in honor of, of his lifetime of preaching and serving the Lord, and so to pay that off is a blessing, amen, and so that's just a real great thing going on down there, so be in prayer for them as they are there, and uh, as they'll be traveling back uh, tomorrow evening. A few announcements to give to you tonight. Uh, first of all, if you have kids in Faith Baptist School, tomorrow we're going to go to the honor roll lunch, and with all the weather and the canceled days and things that have just been postponed and postponed, we're going tomorrow, all right? So if your students made honor roll in quarter number two, you need to know that. And uh, we're going to be heading out about 1045 in the morning uh, tomorrow over to Pizza Street here in Olathe. So make sure that you are planning for that and send them with their money. Flyers went home today. You should have all that with you. Also, you need to know there's ball games this Friday. Those, those basketball and volleyball games are at Heritage Baptist Church in Lawrence. All right, so the bus will leave here at 445. If your kids are on the teams, they need to be on the bus. All right, and you can certainly drive over and meet us over there. We'd love to have everyone in here. If you want to come watch the games, please do that. Uh, the games will begin at 6 o'clock, and they should be ending around 8 o'clock. And if your kids want to ride home with you from the game, that's fine, or they can ride the bus. We'll be back around 9 p.m. Uh, on Friday night. I did want to make mention that uh, this coming Sunday night, Brother Tim Quinlan is going to be preaching and looking forward to that. So make sure you're here in your place in the, in the evening service as well. Of course, morning service, we should obviously be here too. Amen. Um, but uh, Brother Tim will be preaching Sunday night. Looking forward to that. And then don't forget, those of you that signed up for the couples retreat, that is February 2nd and 3rd. And uh, make sure that you get your money turned in for that just as soon as you can and be planning for that. If you did not sign up, it's not too late. To do that, it'll just cost you a little bit more money if you still would like to go get with Pastor, and he can get that taken care of for you. Also, um, coming up in February, uh, is the, uh, there's more basketball and volleyball games. Now, this is a date change, so you might want to update this on your calendars if you need to, um, but we changed the date from the 2nd, which was a conflict because of the couples retreat, to the 5th. So they're on a Monday, all right? Those games will be on a Monday, and they're going to be here. All right, Monday night from 6 to 8 p.m. So if you'd like to come to those, those uh, games here, we'd certainly love to have you. And then uh, February the 9th is the youth rally uh, in El Dorado. So there was Brother uh, Ron Jones there in El Dorado. And I uh, need to get with Brother Tim on times and things like that. But that's going to be on Friday night, February 9th. And then don't forget our next outreach, weather permitting, is going to be on uh, February 17th. All right, so plan to be here February the 17th. And then already looking forward to the end of the month, of course, on the 24th, is, uh, Ms. Sophie Mirhoff is going to be getting married. And uh, looking forward to that. That's on Saturday, the 24th at 3 p.m. So make sure that you're uh, able to be here, if you can be, to uh, be here for that wedding. I know she would greatly appreciate everyone that can be here in attendance for that.
Let's go ahead and get out our prayer list tonight. have just uh, several things to go over there on the prayer list. I had uh, Brother Roy McCrae mark down here that he was home, but obviously you know that because he is here. And good to see him here tonight. Brother Roy, so glad that you're doing well. And uh, I know that uh, Miss Sue is glad to have you back home as well. And I uh, wanted to give you an update. Uh, Miss Marie Christian had, uh, was supposed to have her eye surgery uh, this, uh, actually yesterday, but because of the weather, it's been moved uh, to February the 20th. So if you want to make that adjustment there on your uh, prayer list, you certainly can uh, be on the February the 20th. So make sure that you're being uh, in prayer for her, as I know she would greatly appreciate that. I wanted to give you an update uh, on the right-hand column there on that first page. About the, I think it's the fourth one up from the bottom there under health. Uh, Robin Creason, a pastor mentioned uh, this uh, last week, if you were here or tuning in live stream uh, last Wednesday night. Uh, it's a girl that has uh, started um, coming to our school. Her name is Jubilee. This is her mom, Robin. And uh, they had to come back off the mission field. They weren't sure what was going on. Um, come to find out, she went in and had a, had a MRI done, and uh, she had a tumor on the brain. Uh, cancer is just eating up her body. Um, and anyway, she had surgery to remove that tumor on Saturday, and the, the surgery went well. And uh, she is now home and uh, doing well. Um, she still cannot form sentences. Words aren't making sense and things like that. Um, but uh, at least the surgery went well. And so just continue to pray for, for Robin Creason and that family. I know they would greatly appreciate that. And we'll continue to give you updates as we get them. Uh, make sure that, uh, of course, you're, you're praying for uh, the church planners conference that's going on down at Heartland Baptist Bible College. Um, also continue to pray for the Serenity Hardman family and also uh, the Kennedy family. Uh, they're under bereavement on the second page as they've lost loved ones. And um, I wanted to uh, also ask you, if you would, just to add this, uh, just, just to pray for all of our college students that are going back to school. I think it would be good. And that, that's, of course, Heartland and then the ones here at home, um, some online, some in person. But just be in prayer for them as they're starting school back up. Another one to add to your list tonight, uh, Ms. Christy Wisdom asked for prayer for her grandma. Uh, her name is Genevieve Newman. So if you want to write that down there, Genevieve Newman. Um, she's had several falls here lately uh, to the point where now they're going to, have, they're making some difficult decisions on um, having to move her into a place where she can be taken care of and watched. And um, it's, it's difficult for her to have to move. And uh, I know I know, uh, you know, having had family that I've had to do that, even with my, my parents, uh, some of you I'm sure have as well, um, it's difficult uh, to make those decisions. And so just be in prayer for that and in prayer for, for her health. I know they would greatly, greatly appreciate you praying for the adjustments that are going to have to go on there. And then I want to draw your attention, and, and hopefully you're always looking at the back page praying for our missionaries, but let's go ahead and flip to the back page, uh, if you would. Down at the bottom on the right, some things to pray for. We have our Faith Promise Conference that's coming up in just a couple of months. And I think it'd be good for us to begin uh, praying, even now, that uh, the, what the Lord would have us give in, in the coming year for our missions conference of 2024 that's coming. And then, and then that the Lord would call more you know, people out of our church uh, to be laborers in the harvest. And so uh, just, just take note of those things there on that back page and make those a matter of prayer as we're coming up to our missions conference here very, very quickly. Are there any other prayer requests or updates or things that uh, we can uh, mention tonight? Things maybe we can take off or praises, anything like that this evening? 
Brother Will. Good. Okay. Yeah, so Ed Mendoza that's on our prayer list uh, had his, uh, some, was it, did you say it was surgery to clean up around his eye socket? And so, but he's doing well. And so that's good. But continue to pray for, for him. Saw some more hands here. Yes, Tracy. Stacy. Absolutely. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Got it. So Reed Hill, and this is Stacy's son, um, under unsaved. We need to add him there. Um, that the Lord will begin to work on him and get some clarity there and be great to see him accept the Lord, wouldn't it? Amen. See, I saw some other hands. Brother Griffin. Okay. Amen. Amen. Great news. You want to leave him on or? Okay. Okay. Sure. Yes, I remember you saying that. Yeah. Praise the Lord. So Brad Sullivan there uh, is healing up, doing well. He's on the right-hand column, uh, a little over halfway down there. Uh, keep him in your prayers and that things will keep going well. Amen. That's a good news. Amen. Rachel. So right under Brad Sullivan, Reagan Foster, uh, had her baby by C-section, um, and everything's going well. So praise the Lord for that. We'll leave her on there for a little bit longer in recovery, and of course, um, the, the little baby there as well. So absolutely. Anyone else? Yes, Brother Raymer. We'll put her back on there. Absolutely. Okay. Just keep Martha Palmer in your prayer. And prayers as well. It's the cancer. It's coming back. Mm. Okay. Anyone else tonight? Well, let's go ahead and have our men come then, if they would. And uh, as I say so often, I'm so thankful that we can pray to the one whose hand holds the world. Amen. And. We know that he hears our, our petitions and our prayers and, and uh, just pray for his perfect will to be done. I'm ask Brother C.J. Reeves if you would pray for uh, all these prayer requests and the offering tonight, please.
458, we're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 4. about Jesus would I know, more of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me, more, more about Jesus, more, more about Jesus, more of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. More about Jesus, let me learn. More of his holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher, be. Doing the things of Christ to me. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me, more about Jesus on his throne, riches and glory all his own, more of his kingdom sure increase. More of his coming, Prince of Peace. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. Let's remain standing and turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 10. Amen. I'm actually going to let you be seated tonight uh, to start with. So if you want to go ahead and be seated, you can. Um, got a little bit I want to cover here before we get into it. Um, <clears throat> pretty good uh, crowd for a Wednesday night after a freeze and uh, missing some services. And so thankful all, all of you were here. Probably most of you didn't know I was preaching. You might have stayed home, but uh, you're stuck with me now. It's going to look really rude if you walk out now. So... Uh, but, uh, <laughs> oh, Brother Don doesn't care. He's out of here. No, I'm teasing. But uh, anyway, so thankful all of you were able to be here tonight. And we're going to get back into Psalms. Yes, Psalm 10 is where we're going to be. But uh, just by way of introduction tonight, um, so far as we've gone through the first nine chapters of Psalms, we've already seen that the majority of those have been what we would classify as lamenting Psalms. And, and about two-thirds of the Psalms are going to be that. Um, but... Uh, David or, or the psalmist, who, whoever it has been for the most part, um, for the most part it's been David and he's been pouring out his heart um, to the Lord for different reasons. Most of them we've looked at have had to do with his enemies, those who have come up against him for whatever reason that he was uh, fighting against, but uh, some for different reasons, at least one of them that we looked at in, in Psalm 6 had to do with uh, David and his mourning over his own sin. And, and how he was, he was distraught and he knew he was guilty. And, and so he was mourning and, and lamenting, if you will, and, and making things right with God, which, to be honest, we could probably do a whole lot more of that too. Um, but let's not forget that David, who would be a man that, that God himself would call a man after God's own heart, 
even though he had issues, and he wasn't perfect, we understand that, nobody is except for the Lord, but um, he wasn't perfect by any means, but uh, over and over and over again in the Psalms that we've looked at, uh, he's given us great examples to follow, all right? Um, uh, because in every situation thus far, and we, we understand, you know, if you're, if you're a student of the Bible, you understand that David, when he finds himself in trouble, he turns to God. And, and, and I've said it countless times probably already, but we could save ourselves a whole lot of problems if we would just learn to follow that one example right there. He learns to go to the Lord for his help, for his comfort, for his refuge, for his strength, for his power, for his might, for everything. In chapter 7, he, he went to God as his righteous judge so that, so that the Lord would do the vindicating for him and take care of his enemies for him. He, he didn't have to go try and, and even things up on his own. He was going to let the Lord handle those that were persecuting him, even those with their words that were persecuting him and causing him problems. And once again, we saw that he turned to the Lord for help, and this is exactly what we need to do. In Psalm 8, we saw David asking a question. Who am I? And it honestly, even now, I know we've already preached through it, but if I stopped and just contemplated that question before God, who am I? It could almost bring you to tears, couldn't it? That the God of the universe would be mindful of you and all that He is and in His thrice holiness would be mindful of you as an individual. That's a very sobering and humbling thought. And David asks the question as he gazed up into the heavens and he looked at all that God had created, the sun and the moon and the stars, and yet God was mindful of him. Many times you and I take that for granted, don't we? We don't even give thought that the only true God that is the creator of everything is mindful of us individually. The last time we were in Psalms was back in November. It seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? There's a lot that goes on specifically in the month of December. But we were in Psalm chapter number 9. And in Psalm 9, we took note and looked at how we need to have a, a whole heart of praise for a God who is faithful all the time. You see, so many times in, in, in our flesh, when things aren't going right, we think maybe, maybe we don't verbally say it, but we have a tendency to think that God's not paying attention, that God's not faithful. But the truth of the matter is, is that our God is faithful all the time, even when it's not going our way. He's a faithful God. And we saw that in Psalm chapter number 9. He's always faithful. But now as we begin to look at Psalm 10, we're going to notice something right away as we begin reading these verses here in a minute. And that is that, once again, the psalmist is lamenting. And I say the psalmist here because it doesn't specifically say this was David. It doesn't give a name to this psalm. We'll look at that maybe a little bit more later as, as we get into things tonight, but it's not specifically mentioned in there. So 
But we can classify this psalm as the majority of others have been classified so far as a lamenting psalm. Over the past nine psalms, we've seen the psalmist complain about his adversaries increasing. He's complained about drought and the faithlessness, uh, faith, faithless reaction that some of the Israelites were having to that test of faith from the Lord. He's complained about evil men slandering him. Even subtly or not so subtly, he complained that God seemed to be asleep and in need of being awakened. Here again, from the very first line of this psalm, we have the psalmist, whether it's David or someone else, he's complaining that God seems so far away. So far away in times of trouble. And as we keep reading, uh, you're going to see this lengthy complaint. It's going to be about the first 11 verses. And so we can, again, classify Psalm 10 as a lamenting psalm, as a complaint. Therefore, we're going to do that tonight. I want you to go ahead and stand with me and turn to Psalm 10 if you're not already there. We're going to read the first 11 verses together as we begin tonight. The psalmist writes in Psalm 10, verse 1, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privately set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. He hath said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. We're going to stop our reading right there. Now, Lord willing, we're going to do all 18 verses of this chapter tonight. Don't worry, I have one page of notes for every verse in here. That's the truth. It wasn't planned that way, but that's how it turned out. But I am going to be mindful of the time tonight, and if we need to cut it off like a bologna sandwich, well, we'll do that. But I think we can get through most of it, all right? Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll begin. Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing each one of us to be here tonight. Thank you, Lord, for clearing up the streets and the weather, and Lord, for the warmth today, and uh, Lord, so that we can all meet in your house together. I pray that you just bless your word now. Lord, I pray that you'd use me tonight and speak through me. I pray this would be a help an encouragement and a blessing to those that will hear it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Now, I don't know about you, but I will be the first to admit tonight that I am not always the most patient driver on the planet. Some of you are surprised at this. Some not. Yeah, exactly. You've probably ridden with me a time or two. In fact, I've been known in the past, and the not-so-recent past, um, to have even raised my voice a touch while I'm driving. 
And I know none of you in here have probably ever done this before, so it's probably just me. Um, but I, I have raised my voice at those that drive and are not so nearly as skilled as I am at driving. Since my tongue-in-cheek here. But have you ever had someone do something in front of you on the highway that was just plain scary? Like, you, you literally looked at them and thought, did you just do that? Um, maybe, for, for lack of a better term, it was just stupid what they did. Uh, it could have cost you your life. It could have cost somebody else their life. All to get in front of you at the next stoplight. Or something like that. Because they're in such a big hurry. Well, I don't know about you, but I have seen this before. Maybe you've seen someone run a red light in front of you. Because they weren't paying attention. Probably texting, Brother Parker. Not texting you, but texting. <laughs> Hopefully they're not texting you. Maybe you've had somebody fly past you on the interstate. Like, I mean, just at the speed of light. It's usually uh, somebody, you know, in a really fancy sports car or a motorcycle or something like that. Or Brother Don. But um, I'm teasing. But when this happens, have you ever thought to yourself or even said out loud, where is a policeman when you need him? Where is a cop when you need them? Where are they? How come they never see these things? I've said that. I've either thought it or said it out loud. Years ago now, Matt Dalsing and I, um, we took a trip down to Oklahoma to purchase a bus for the church. And um, as we were driving down I-35 toward Oklahoma City, I looked in my rearview mirror and I, and I began to see this, this bright neon orange car catching me very quickly. And I thought, that looks like a Lamborghini. As I continued to drive, this Lamborghini was getting closer very fast. And I looked in my rearview mirror, and on his windshield, it said, move over. Now, you have to understand... Those words were backward on his windshield so that when you looked in your mirror, you saw move over. So what was I to do? I moved over. Now, some of you probably wouldn't have been that Christian-like. You would have said, no, you can just stay behind me, buddy. I thought it, but I moved over. To have him fly, my, fly by me at probably about 110 miles an hour. Behind him was about 30 more automobiles of the same kind. They kept going and going and going, and they're all going so fast. Matt says to me, we must be in a road rally race. I said, what's a road rally race? I have no idea what you're talking about. So he Googles it, and come to find out, we're in the middle of a road rally race called the Gumball 3000 that was headed from somewhere on the East Coast to Santa Fe, New Mexico in three days' journey. I said, you know what, that sounds really familiar. And then I remembered, oh, I saw them. They had stopped in Kansas City uh, with all these exotic cars, and they were on the news that morning before we left. And then it started clicking and making sense. But these guys were going way too fast, way over the speed limit. And the first thing that one of us said to each other is, where is a policeman when you need him? Is this legal? Can they do this? And about a half an hour down the road, we passed several of these fast cars. Because they were on the side of the road with the policeman. Do you know how gratifying it was to drive by 65 miles an hour and just wave? It was great. You say, that's in your flesh. Yes, it was. It was. But they were there. The policeman had found them. And it wasn't too long after that that they passed us again. 
And it wasn't too long after that that we passed them again. And I thought, how many tickets can these guys get before they go to jail? I don't know. Um, but come to find out, these were all superstars that were driving them, like Shaquille O'Neal, David Hasselhoff. These were all the guys who were driving all these cars. I didn't know that till later, and I thought, that's why they're not going to prison yet. But anyway, on a more serious note, though, have you ever found yourself in a place in life that was hard, that was difficult, you didn't know how it was going to turn out. And maybe you thought to yourself, God, where are you? Where is the Lord in this? Why don't you make yourself known? Look at verse 1 again. Because the psalmist here has that thought. He says, Why standest thou afar off, Lord? Why hidest thou thyself? in times of trouble. Now, I think we could all agree here tonight that we live in a world in which sin is running rampant. It's everywhere you look. The wicked seem to thrive. They seem to thrive. You just watch the news or you look around and you'll see that. I think we would all agree tonight that Satan, as the prince and the power of the air... He's, he's going to and fro as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he's got this world that we live in going in a direction exactly where he wants it to go. And as a Christian, it's easy for us to look around and say, Lord, how are you letting all this take place? Where are you? Why aren't you handling these situations? It's easy to get caught up in that. I mean, think about it. You pray. You witness. You go to church. We have outreach. You witness to your coworkers, to your friends, your family, your, your, your neighbors. We run buses. We knock doors. We have church. And yet sin is still running rampant. And it seems to be getting worse, not better. And maybe as a Christian, you're thinking to yourself, God, why? Where are you? The psalmist here is experiencing this. Where, where are you, Lord? Why are you so far away? Why does it seem that way? Maybe you see other Christians falling by the wayside. Maybe you see pastors that are falling away. Missionaries that are falling away. They're getting out of church. We see less and less people coming to church. That's why it's not full tonight. And it's not for lack of us trying. It's not for lack of witnessing or telling others. Hmm. You might wonder, God, where are you? You might even say it out loud like the psalmist did here in our text. Why do you seem so far away? Just wondering why. Why does the Lord allow these things to continue to go on and on? The psalmist here is questioning the seemingly inactivity of God. What would seem that way? 
He's asking the question, God, why aren't you doing anything? Look at all that's going on. Have you ever had that thought? Just be honest. Have you ever had that thought? Because there's been times that I have. There's been times that I have. You know, I think back to my, my days as the youth leader here at the church. And you give so much time and energy and study of God's Word and you preach and you teach and these kids seem to be all involved and all of a sudden they leave. And nothing you do or say, they're just gone. Teenagers that have grown up in this church and they become young adults and they leave. And I'm sorry, maybe it's just me because I'm human, but sometimes I'm like, okay, God, why? What happened? What changed? Where are you? Maybe it's not even looking at the world around you, but maybe it's in your own personal life. Maybe it's a problem, a hurt, a struggle within your own heart, a struggle within your family, a struggle at your job, a struggle with a coworker. And you can't help but ask the question, why are things going this way? God, where are you? That's what the psalmist is asking right here in verse 1. Where are you? Hmm. I'm going to somewhat paraphrase this as we go down through here to kind of save a little bit of time. But we're going to walk down through these first 11 verses here. And I'm going to try and do it fairly quickly. But there are some applications, I think, that can be made to us just in the 11 verses. So in verse 1, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? In verse number 2, The wicked in his pride is persecuting the poor. He's persecuting the poor. Verse 2 also says, let them be caught in those plots, if you will, which they have devised, which they have made up. Let them be caught in those. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire, and he blesses the greedy, and he renounces the Lord. In verse number 3, he's, he's renouncing him. In verse number 4, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Just let that sink in for a second. God is in none of his thoughts. This explains why the psalmist was so troubled by the seeming inactivity of God. When you, when you read those things, he, he sees the wicked, the proud man, who not only persecutes the poor and approves of other sinners, but he also blesses the greedy. He, he's blessing those that, that already have everything. He's giving to them. And, and, he, and, and he also sins against God. He, he renounces the Lord. He does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. And, and the psalmist here is looking at this saying, okay, how is all this going on? God, where are you in all of this? This sounds a lot like the world we're living in today, doesn't it? I mean, I couldn't help but read this and think of that. The greedy, the wicked... God is in none of their thoughts? Why do you think you, you see all these, these riots and everything that goes on? Do you know why? We live in a godless society. 
God is not in their thinking at all. That's why we have these things that happen. We immediately would recognize that anyone who renounces the Lord is sinful. We would think that, right? Immediately, we would say, okay, <laughs> these are sinful people. They're even renouncing God. Okay, he's in none of their thoughts. That's a sinful, wicked person. Yet the psalmist here puts the one who does not seek God and the one who does not think about God. God is in none of his thoughts in the same category as the one who renounces God. Did you notice that? He puts them all together into the same category. One man said it this way, and it really made me think about this. Now listen to what he said. Men do not seek God. This is a great sin. Men do not think about God. This is also a great sin. Man has obligations to God as his creator and sovereign. I think we would agree with that tonight, but he didn't end there. And it is a sin to neglect them, those obligations to God as our sovereign. Man has that. All right? Man commits these sins because of his proud countenance. Ignoring God is an expression. Get this, if you didn't get any of the rest of that. Ignoring God is an expression of our independence and perceived equality or superiority to Him. Let's say that again. Ignoring God is an expression of our independence and our perceived equality or superiority to Him. Now I want you to let, I want to let that sink in for just a second. Because when we first begin to read this psalm, and the psalmist is voicing his very great concern about those who are wicked and prideful, and they're renouncing God, and he says that God is in none of his thoughts, and that these people in their pride don't seek God. I, I think our first thought, as mine was, was, well, doesn't that describe the world that we live in today? Yes, it does. Absolutely, it does. But I believe if we're not careful, dare I say, this description may also describe many of God's people today. Because I began to think about my own life in times that I haven't sought God, in times that God hasn't been in my thoughts and in my character. And you know what that says of me? Every time I do something like that, that says, God, I know more than you. I'm equal to you or superior to you in my thinking because I don't need your help. I got this. Now, you might be in here tonight saying, I've never done that. I have a hard time believing that. In our selfish pride, we also ignore what God tells us to do. Quite often, probably, if you really stop and think about it. We might not say it out loud, but in our hearts we know. We don't spend time with God like we know we should. Let me just stop there for a second. Where, where's, your, where's your daily Bible and prayer life at? Because God says we're to seek Him daily. And when we don't, we're saying, okay, God, I know better than you. And I don't need you today. I'm just, listen, I'm not trying to make anybody upset tonight. I'm just, this was convicting to me. It's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow. 
But it's right. It's true. In fact, many times God's not even in our thoughts. And dare I say, many times in our hearts we might renounce the will of God because we know better. Hmm. We know that God wants us to make some decisions in our life, but they're tough. So we're not going to do it because we know better. Hmm. This ignoring of God is nothing more than our expression of our independence and our flesh thinking that somehow we are equal to or even superior to Him. And we look at what the psalmist is saying here. And he's talking about these wicked people. And we look at that at a first glance and we're like, you are wicked. You are sinners. Can I tell you? We're no better. I'm no better. We need God. And He needs to be superior in our lives. The psalmist then continues detailing this pride in verses 5 through 7. His ways are always grievous. And that word grievous there means prospering. Actually, it might not mean what you think. It actually means prospering. So the wicked's ways are always prospering. It has to do, actually, if you look it up, it has to do with dancing and twirling and happy and prospering. They're happy, but they're wicked. Hmm. And it would seem that they're always okay. Your judgments are far above out of his sight, according to verse number 5. Verse number 5 also says, as for all his enemies, he, he puffeth at them, or he, he sneers at them. <laughs> My enemy's got nothing on me. <laughs> that's, that's the idea there. According to verse 6, he has said in his heart, I shall not be moved, I shall, I shall never be in adversity. His mouth, in verse number 7, is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. In these past three verses, we see that the psalmist is fully aware that the prosperity of God could never be for these wicked men unless God himself were to allow it to happen. You've got to remember tonight that God's in control of everything. So he's reminding himself here that, God, your, your ways are, are higher. So all this that's going on here, you're, you're allowing this to take place. Whatever these wicked men were all involved in, or wicked man, or the wicked, God, you're allowing it to happen. He sees the wickedness of their speech, and he exposes the pride of their hearts and how they, they curse and they, they blaspheme. And then he asks God not to let them prosper anymore. God, please stop them. Don't allow this to happen. The psalmist understands here and recognizes that God is the one who is in complete control and that he has supreme authority of everything that happens. The very rise and fall of kings and nations, are, it only happens because God allows it to take place, you see. Now we can look around and we can see things all over the world are in such disarray. We can see that the sin of this world is running rampant and that Wicked leaders are in place and that wars are going on. But we have to realize that God is still in control of all of that. None of it happens unless he allows it to happen for a specific reason or a specific purpose. It's not just by chance. God has purpose behind everything that he does, you see. So God may be allowing this world to be in the shape that it's in because maybe, just maybe, 
God's people as a whole are not doing their job. You see, we too can pray as the psalmist prays here that, that God will make everything right and will, will punish those who are wicked. But again, I think we must examine our own selves first, shouldn't we? What kind of lives are we living before the Lord? What kind of a life are you living before the Lord? What kind of a life am I living before the Lord? According to 1 Peter 4, judgment must begin first at the house of God. And, and, but that starts, you have to understand, as individuals. It starts in your individual lives. And, and, it, and then it goes on to uh, individual families that, that, are, that are members of, of the church, of Faith Baptist Church. And uh, these families need to have lives outside of church that, that are wholly separated unto God, just as they would appear to have lives in church that are wholly separated unto God. It's not just on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night at church that we need to be doing what's right and living lives that, that God would approve of, but it's all the time. All the time. And as, as we keep ourselves holy and separated by, by reading His Word daily and having a, a daily prayer life and a daily walk with God and we're consistent in those things, uh, the Lord will then have those, uh, help those things to carry over into the church, right? And, and then and as a church on a corporate level, um, then and only then, when, that's when Faith Baptist Church has these types of families that it can be all that God really wants it to be, you see. It's just the trickle-down effect, if you will. Starts in your own personal walk, in your family's own personal walk, and that consistency. And then as you come to church, it's consistent. And then God begins to use you, and then God begins to grow the church, and then the church begins to get on fire for God more than it's ever been before. And then pretty soon, you know what we're doing? We're seeing God work in the church. And we're seeing God call men out of this church. And we're seeing men go to the mission field and go plant churches. And before you know it, the word of God is spreading all over the world. And the gospel is being shared all over the world. And people are hearing it. And people are being saved. And people are being discipled. And guess what? Maybe then sin will become a little bit less. And God will begin to bless. And we'll begin to see a world, maybe, just maybe, that might be on fire for God. But I think the problem is, Christians as a whole, we're not doing our job. Just plain and simple, we're not doing our job. Like we should be. And so this world just continues to decline. Look at verse number 8. Verse number 8. In these next verses here, 8 through 11, the psalmist, he begins getting a little more detailed here. He begins getting a little more graphic, if you will, as he brings out the violence of the wicked and how they're preying upon the innocent and the helpless. In verse number 8, he, he says he sits in the lurking places of the villages, in the secret places. In the secret places, he, he murders the innocent. His eyes are... are privately or secretly fixed on the, on the poor, the helpless, if you will, the, the, the needy. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. Kind of sounds like Satan, doesn't it? As a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. 
He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He, he lies in wait to catch the, the poor, the helpless, the, the innocent. And when he catches the poor and the helpless, he draws them into his net. He crouches. You, that, that word crouch there literally means a humbling almost. It has that idea because he's kneeling down. He's crouching down. He's getting low to the ground so he can pounce on his prey. He lies low that the helpless may fall by, by his strong ones, it says. That, that, that just means by his strength. By his strength, they're going to fall. But take a look at verse number 11. This is what I want to key in on for a moment. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He, he hides his face. He, he'll never see it. That, that's what he's talked himself into believing. That God's not going to pay any attention to what's going on. I can get away with these things. God's not going to see it. He's, he's got too many other things going on. He's not paying attention to me. You and I look at this and say, goodness, I mean, the, these wicked here, they're so brazen in what they're saying. The psalmist says that these wicked men are literally saying that God is too busy to pay attention. He'll forget what they've done or that he's too busy to even notice and he, he's hiding his face. He has no idea of... He's too distracted with other things to notice their sin and their wickedness. He'll never see it. He's unaware that we're even doing these things. As Christians, we can look at this and say, wow, those people just don't get it, do they? I mean, they just don't get it. I mean, God sees everything. I mean, wait a minute. God sees everything. Maybe we just don't quite get it either. We do and say things and watch things on TV and the internet all the time. And have we talked ourselves into thinking, well, God doesn't see that. He didn't see that. He didn't hear that. Hmm. God won't even notice. <laughs> he has so much other things going on. Can I remind you tonight that He notices? He sees. He's watching. In fact, as His children, He has more obligation to watch us than he does others. Hmm. He has more obligation to watch those who know him as their savior. All those times that you watch or listen to things you know you shouldn't have put into your eye gate or into your ear gate, and you and I try to pretend like God didn't see it, he saw it. He saw it. And you and I try to justify why we did it, but he's not buying it. I'm going to say that again. We, we try and justify it, don't we? I say we. I'm speaking to me, too. I told you, this has already been so convicting to me. I'm like, oh, man. I Listen, we, we try and justify it, but he's not buying it. He knows your heart and my heart. He knows how we really are. We try and act like God's too busy, but he took notice, and he's very aware of what you're doing, not only in your public life here and your public life away from church, but also in your private life, he knows how you really are and who you really are and what you're really doing. He knows. I think tonight before we say too much about the wicked that are mentioned in our text, we better start by doing some self-examination to make sure that we're not living just like them. 
You say, well, I don't curse, I don't cuss. Okay, but you watch all kinds of stuff that does. Hmm. Or maybe sometimes you do. Maybe a lot of times you do. Can I just tell you tonight that God sees it? He knows. He said, oh, Brother Eric, I know the Lord is my Savior tonight. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You should be different. I should be different. Of anyone that should be aware that God is watching, it should be the saved people. And we don't want to live a life that's pleasing to God just so we can say, well, we know God's watching. We do it because we love Him. Because we want to honor Him and we want to glorify Him in our attitudes and our action and our character. That's why we do it. But He's watching. But you know what? The problem is that so many times the Christians today are living just like the world. In fact, so many times the Christians today are living so much like the world that you can't even tell the difference. How sad is that? They walk the walk at church, but I've got to be honest, I get so sick and tired of hearing how they live away from church. Sometimes, sometimes ignorance is bliss, but you hear things and you're just like, it's disappointing. Because you have somebody that, that claims to be a Christian and claims to be walking with the Lord at church, and away from church, they're living like the devil and they're dragging God's name through the mud, saying, I'm a Christian, and what a horrible testimony that is. And for some reason, they think no one's going to see it or, no one's, or God's not going to see it and God's not going to notice. He does see it and he does notice and he does care. And he's not buying your excuses and he's not going to let you continue to get away with it. Just saying. You need to stop pretending that God doesn't see or notice because he most certainly does. Proverbs 15, 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Not just in some place, in every place. So I think that number one tonight, we need to make sure that we are saved. We are born again Christians. And if we are, that we're not living like the wicked of this world. Number one, that we're not ignoring the will of God in our lives. Whatever it is that God wants from us, we need to make sure that we're doing it and not ignoring it. Number two, we need to remember tonight that nothing happens that God doesn't allow to happen for some purpose or some reason. So we as believers need to make sure that we're walking as close to God as possible and that we as a church, collectively, corporately, are doing our job so that we can be as much of an effective witness here and around the world as we possibly can to see the gospel spread around the world. And number three, as Christians, we need to remember tonight that God sees and knows what we're doing. He does. He sees the sins you commit in your private life, even in your public life, uh, that you try to reason away. He sees those things. And as a loving Heavenly Father, He's then obligated to punish those sins. And you and I aren't going to get away with them. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. And he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. He's, he's, he doesn't like to have to correct you no more than you like to have to correct your children. But he understands it's necessary. And he's not afraid to do it. And he will. But now we see the psalmist doing again what we know that we've seen David do in the past. And again, this could be David, but we've seen him, of course, doing what every Christian should do whenever they're struggling. And that is, he looks to the Lord for the answers. So let's begin reading in verse number 12. 
Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Uh, Stop there for just a second, because I'm not going to hammer on this tonight. But that's a key word right there. Because God wants humility before him. And notice that's the opposite of what the wicked were having. Because he mentioned several times the wicked in their pride. Okay? So, too many times I think we let our pride get in our way, don't we? When we really need to learn just to humble ourselves before God and let him work in and through us. And that's what he's saying here in verse number 12. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked contempt God? He hath said in his heart, thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite to, re- to requite it with thy hand. The poor committed themselves unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. You know what that means? That means go after him till it's all gone. That's what he means. I love verse 16. And this is actually where we get the title for tonight's message. The, which I haven't given you yet. I don't know if you noticed, but the Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his hand. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear, uh, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. And I'm going to give you the title right now. This is the title. Rejoice, have confidence. The Lord is king. Rejoice and have confidence because the Lord is the King. In the first four verses that we just read, we see the psalmist asking God for two specific things. Real quickly. In verses 12 and 13, we see the psalmist once again asking for God to take control of the situation at hand. Mention this at the beginning. If we could just learn to do that, we'd be a whole lot better off, wouldn't we? But he's asking for that. He's looking to God for vindication, not trying to handle it himself. We, of course, know from previous messages in the Psalms that this should also be our response when someone wrongs us or things aren't going our way. We need to turn to the one who can handle our problems, and that, of course, is the Lord. But the psalmist doesn't just casually ask for this, does he? No, he says this. Look look what he says. He says, Arise, O Lord. The psalmist called upon God to take action. Arise, O Lord, this wicked man finds comfort in the idea that you won't do anything against him. So arise, O Lord, and lift up your hand. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I want the Lord's hand for me, not against me. All right. He says, lift up your hand against this wicked man. As I mentioned several times already, we don't know exactly who this particular psalm was written by. Many think it might have been David, just simply because... This psalm is kind of sandwiched in between a couple other psalms that are, are given uh, to David, okay? But, but the verbiage in this psalm, to me, wouldn't seem like David, only because David is a man of action, okay? And I could see, honestly, David just saying, you know what, I'm just going to go take him out, all right? I'm just going to go wipe him out. However, when I read this a little bit more, maybe he didn't take action because the person possibly that he's speaking of, might have been given their authority by God. Maybe. In other words, it could have been somebody like King Saul. And David would not raise his hand against God's anointed. He wouldn't do it. 
So it's very possible that it could have been Saul that he's speaking of here. If he were the wicked one mentioned in the psalm, I, I could see David not raising his hand against the Lord's anointed. In any case, the psalmist does ask for the Lord to take action and handle this wickedness that's going on. Not only does the psalmist ask for God to do the vindicating, but secondly, he asks for God to help the poor or the helpless, the needy. He asks for God's help for those people. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. We're almost finished, I promise. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. But he says, but you have seen, Lord, you, 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 you observe the mischief and the spite or, or the trouble and the grief. So upon further reflection, the psalmist recognizes here that God has indeed seen because he sees and cares for the trouble and grief of the poor and the helpless, doesn't he? He sees that. So he, he takes note that God has seen these things. To, to requit means to repay. So he's asking him to repay it by his hand. So here we see the confidence of the psalmist in God's judgments. He, he most certainly will repay the wicked ones for their sins. He's going to do this. He's going to make it right. And God will indeed answer the helpless and be the helper of the fatherless. But the psalmist then says, break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. The psalmist called upon God to help the weak by, by shattering the, the wicked, if you will, and, and the evil man, and to thoroughly seek out his wickedness until you find none. Or in other words, until... It's all gone. Lord, don't stop with just a few. Get rid of it till it's all gone. That's what he's asking for here. Now take a look at the last three verses. This is where we get our title, as I mentioned, for the psalm tonight. The Lord is king forever and ever. The psalmist began with almost despair, didn't he, at the very beginning. He was almost in despair in, in his time of trouble, but he ends with this calm confidence in the reign of the Lord as the eternal king. I couldn't help here but think of the song that we sing so commonly on Sunday mornings. Rejoice, the Lord is king. Rejoice, the Lord is king. We need to remember tonight that God had, well, he had long declared, been declared that he was the king of Israel. God had long been declared that he was the king. You can go clear back to the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 15, I believe. Even when his people rejected his rule in, in, in 1 Samuel 8, he was still declared as the king, and he still was the king. Just because people reject him, that doesn't change the fact that he's still the king. Right? If David did write this psalm specifically during a time of persecution from Saul, the words, the Lord is king forever and ever, well, those are going to have some special meaning. Recognizing the reign of God even over the troubled and dysfunctional reign of King Saul. Okay? Even over his reign, God was still the king. And I think we can look around today and say, even over the reign of the leaders of our world today that are so mixed up and messed up, God is still the king. He is still the ultimate ruler verse 16 the nations have perished out of his hand remembering the past victories of god against the the cruel enemies of his people in this case the, the canaanites who occupied his his land 
he gave the psalmist greater confidence regarding the present help of the Lord. In verse 17, you've heard the desire of the humble, he says. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. This continues to uh, express the calm confidence of the psalmist. God will not abandon the poor and the needy, but will help them and will bless them, the psalmist says. That's what he's going to do. Verse number 18, to judge the fatherless, to do justice that the man of the earth may no more oppress. The psalmist ends with the assurance that God's justice will be given to the wicked. He will make things right. What began with a sense of despair in times of trouble has ended once again with the calm confidence that in God's justice and God's ultimate victory. So as we conclude tonight, I want to leave you with just a few quick thoughts of application from the passage. Number one, as God's people, it's okay to take our questions to God. The psalmist does it here, and that's, that's okay. Yes, we see the psalmist in despair at the beginning of the psalm, but he didn't turn to the world for answers, did he? No, he turned to God. And it's okay for you and I to take our questions to God. Number two, God's people can take their complaints to God. You can take your complaints to God. I promise you, he's big enough to handle it. Okay? The psalmist in this passage took his complaints to God. God's people need to learn to do the same. Instead of taking it to everyone around you and gossiping to everyone around you about what's going on, why don't we just learn to take it to God and share it with him? Number three, God's people, we can ask of God. We can ask Him. The psalmist here and in other psalms that we've read went went to God for His needs. We could save ourselves a whole lot of hurt, heartache, and trouble if we just go to God first for our needs and and our desires and our wants and things that we have need of. There's nothing so great that He can't handle it. You can go to Him. And lastly, number four, God should be the confidence of His people. He should be your confidence tonight. We need to learn to humble ourselves, according to verse 17 and others, and place our faith and trust in the one who saved us. He is our confidence. Remember the words of King Hezekiah tonight when he told the people as Judah was being invaded by Syria? I couldn't help but think about this. In 2 Chronicles 32, 7 and 8, this is what he says. As they're beginning to be invaded by Assyria, he says, Be strong and courageous, be not afraid nor dismayed, for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. <laughs> I love this. For there be more with us than with him. And by the way, he wasn't talking about the people. And there's a colon there for a reason, not a period at the end of that verse, because verse 8 starts with this. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord, our God, to help us. He, he wasn't talking about the people, the, the might of Judah, He was talking about the might of God in God's hand is what he was talking about. He says, the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And by the way, if you read the rest of that story, (laughs) God takes them out. He blesses blesses their courage and their humility before him and then depending on him. And he wipes out the enemy. Let that be a lesson to us tonight. We don't need to live in defeat and discouragement. We can rejoice tonight and have confidence because the Lord 
is our king. And you can rest in him tonight. Let's go ahead and be, uh, have a word of prayer tonight. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And we're going to have a time of invitation.